Welcome back to the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we cover the topic of hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state found under the endocrine section at medbullets.com. Let's start off with a clinical snapshot. A 65-year-old woman with a past medical history significant for type 2 diabetes, glaucoma, and psoriasis presents to the emergency room for altered mental status. For the past few days, she has had increasing cough followed by polyuria, weakness, and fatigue. She has had a few tactile fevers at home. On physical exam, she is febrile and tachycardic. Her skin turgor is poor and she has dry mucous membranes. She is alert and oriented only to self, which is a change from her baseline. Laboratory results are significant for an elevated serum glucose of 730 milligrams per deciliter. Laboratory results are significant for an elevated serum glucose of 730 milligrams per deciliter. Arterial blood gas shows a normal pH. No ketones are detected in the serum. Chest radiograph shows a new right lower lobe infiltrate. She is given a bolus of fluids and is admitted to the intensive care unit for further management. Hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state, or HHS, is also known as non-ketotic hyperglycemic coma. This is a complication of diabetes mellitus and characterized by hyperglycemia, increase in osmolality, dehydration, and minimal or no ketoacidosis. In terms of demographics, you'll see HHS in the population of patients with type 2 diabetes. These patients have insulin resistance and increased serum insulin levels and are subject to beta cell burnout in the long run. In terms of etiology, HHS can be due to medication noncompliance and acute medical illness, such as myocardial infarction, stroke, pancreatitis, and infection. With regards to pathogenesis, hyperglycemia results in osmotic diuresis, dehydration and electrolyte loss, increased intravascular osmolarity, impaired renal function, and increased pro-inflammatory cytokines. As a reminder, it's type 2 diabetes that's associated with HHS. Now for the clinical presentation. Symptoms of HHS develop over days with gradual onset. They include polyuria, polydipsia, weight loss, weakness and fatigue, mental status changes, dehydration, which may present with shock, and blurry vision from lens swelling secondary to osmotic pressure, small or absent ketones, specifically beta-hydroxybutyrate, a serum osmolality greater than 320 milliosmoles per kilogram, a pH of greater than 7.3, serum bicarbonate greater than 15 to 18 millimoles per liter, and these patients may also have an increase in lactate. Diagnostic criteria for HHS is the following. Patients will present with a glucose-induced stupor or coma without ketonemia or acidosis. One main differential diagnosis to keep in mind when working up HHS is diabetic ketoacidosis. Distinguishing factors include the fact that DKA often occurs in patients with type 1 diabetes, patients are acidotic and have ketones, and it more often presents with nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. Now for treatment. The mainstay of treatment of HHS is to normalize osmolality, normalize serum glucose, and replete fluids and electrolytes. First line management includes intravenous fluid resuscitation, repletion of electrolytes, especially potassium, with a goal of 4 to 5 milliequivalents per liter, and intravenous insulin, especially after fluid resuscitation. 
thrombosis is a potential complication of HHS. Now that we've briefly covered the high yield topics of HHS, let's try some practice questions. Question one, a 62 year old man presents to the emergency department with confusion. The patient's wife states that her husband has become more somnolent over the past several days and now is very confused. The patient has no complaints himself, but is answering questions inappropriately. The patient has a past medical history of diabetes and hypertension. His temperature is 98.3 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.8 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 127 over 85. Pulse is 138 per minute. Respirations are 14 per minute and oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam is notable for a confused man with dry mucous membranes. Initial laboratory studies result as following. Serum sodium is 135, chloride of 100, potassium of 3.0, bicarbonate of 23, BUN of 30, glucose of 1,299, creatinine of 1.5, and calcium of 10.2. Which of the following is the most appropriate initial treatment for this patient? The choices are one, insulin, two, insulin and normal saline, three, insulin and potassium, four, insulin, normal saline and potassium, or five, normal saline and potassium. The correct answer is five, normal saline and potassium. This patient with diabetes is presenting with confusion, dry mucous membranes, and an extremely elevated glucose with a low potassium, concerning for a diagnosis of hyperosmolar hyperglycemic syndrome, or HHS. The best initial step in management is administration of fluids and correction of any electrolyte abnormalities, in this case, administration of normal saline and potassium repletion. HHS typically occurs in type two diabetic patients, it can occur secondary to infection, medication noncompliance, and severe physiologic stress. Patients will present with polyuria, polydipsia, fatigue, and confusion. It is not uncommon for these patients to have an extremely elevated blood glucose and be severely dehydrated, with estimates putting most patients at 7 to 10 liters depleted. An anion gap acidosis is typically not present because keto acids are not produced like in DKA given the presence of insulin. However, there can be severe electrolyte abnormalities in these patients, including depleted potassium and magnesium levels. The best initial step in management of HHS is fluid administration and correction of any electrolyte abnormalities. Insulin can be started either with these measures if the electrolyte derangements are not severe or at a later time when the patient has received several liters of fluids. Now for the incorrect answers. Answer one, insulin is inappropriate management of HHS. Patients should first be given IV fluids and have their electrolytes corrected. Insulin can be started after or with these more dire initial interventions. Answer two, insulin and normal saline are inappropriate as insulin will further worsen this patient's hypokalemia and could lead to potentially fatal cardiac dysrhythmias. Answer three, Insulin and potassium are inappropriate management of HHS. The most important initial step in management in HHS is fluid replacement and correction of electrolyte derangements. Answer four, 
insulin, normal saline, and potassium would be correct if this patient had a normal potassium. This patient's potassium is severely low, less than 3.2 milliequivalents per liter, and thus insulin should be held until the potassium is within the normal range. Now for a bullet summary. The most appropriate initial step in management of HHS is administration of fluids and correction of electrolyte abnormalities. All right, let's try another question. Question number two. A 67-year-old man with a past medical history of obesity and diabetes presents to the emergency department with fatigue. The patient has become more confused over the past several days and has been urinating profusely. His temperature is 99 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.2 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 120 over 68. Pulse is 160. Respirations are 19 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is notable for a confused man with dry mucous membranes. He is unable to answer simple questions and is moving all extremities spontaneously. Which of the following is also likely to be found in this patient? 1. Blurred vision. 2. Meningeal symptoms. 3. Seizures. 4. Tremulousness. Or 5. Unilateral weakness. The correct answer is 1. Blurred vision. This patient is presenting with a history of diabetes and current symptoms of confusion, increased urination, tachycardia, and dry mucous membranes suggesting a diagnosis of hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state. Blurred vision can occur in this condition secondary to the severe hyperglycemia. Type 2 diabetes mellitus occurs when the sensitivity of the tissues to insulin decreases, resulting in an elevated fasting blood glucose. Times of stress or infection due to the action of cortisol and fuel mobilizing hormones and medication noncompliance can lead to severe hyperglycemia. This hyperglycemia can lead to diuresis and severe dehydration, which can subsequently cause hypotension, tachycardia, and altered mental status. It is not uncommon for these patients to have a blood glucose that can be 1,000 milligrams per deciliter or higher. Blurred vision is common in these patients and occurs secondary to the high blood glucose levels. Glucose enters the lens, causing an osmotic pull of water into the lens, leading to lens swelling and blurry vision. The treatment of HHS is first administration of fluids, correction of metabolic abnormalities, and once the patient is rehydrated, insulin. Now for the incorrect answers. Answer two, meningeal symptoms could be seen in meningitis, which would present with a fever, headache, photophobia, a positive Kernick or Brzezinski sign, and a jolt accentuation of headache. Meningitis typically does not cause a severely altered mental status. This is more likely to be encephalitis when present. Answer three. Seizures are a potential complication of hyponatremia, hypernatremia that is treated too rapidly, or alcohol withdrawal. It is not a common complication of HHS unless there are severe underlying metabolic derangements. Answer four, tremulousness is common in alcohol or benzodiazepine withdrawal. However, it is not a common complication of HHS unless there are severe underlying metabolic derangements. Answer five, unilateral weakness is suggestive of a stroke which can present with dysarthria, unilateral weakness, and an asymmetric smile. 
Patients suspected of having a stroke should promptly have a non-contrast head CT performed and subsequently be given tissue plasminogen activator, or TPA, if there are no contraindications. Now for a quick bullet summary. Blurred vision from lens swelling can be seen in hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state. With that bullet summary, we wrap up today's discussion of hyperosmolar hyperglycemic state. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets podcast thus far, We'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.